0: All right, so let's look at verses 25 through 28. I want to capture kind of what we just read. So Jesus is apparently teaching or talking somewhere, uh, and this expert stands up and asks Jesus a question. Now, this is an expert in the law, so we clearly have someone very familiar with the law. And this man, being an expert, would have known what he was asking Jesus about. right? So when he asked Jesus uh, this question, like he's a professional in understanding what is required by the law. And what does he ask? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now it appears Jesus hears the question and he understands that this man has a lot of knowledge because he responds, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus is a really good teacher. He sees a man who has answers within him and instead of just spoon feeding him answers, he begins to ask good questions, right? That's what good teachers do. And the man answers with quoting the law. Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. A response that calls him to love God with all of them, with his heart, with his mind, with his soul, with his strength, and to love his neighbor as himself. And so in this moment, the lawyer proves himself to be the expert that he truly is. And Jesus simply says, you've responded correctly. Do this and you'll live. So we're off to a really good start with the lawyer so far. He's, he's on the money. So what do we have? So we have this moment where the man answers. It's complete. He's been given the big picture. Do this and you'll live. But pay close attention to how Jesus replies here or how he replies to Jesus. He responds, who is my neighbor? This is how the man responds to those commands. Who is my neighbor? Now, what does this question tell us? What can we gather from this type of response? He is currently looking for a means to an end, right? He is calculating who his neighbor is so he can attain this eternal life he's after. He's looking for what he can, what he can do to accomplish the instruction, His eyes are fixed on eternal life, and he's ready to do whatever it takes to get it. Like if it's a law, he can figure this thing out. But in order to do this, he needs to love his neighbor. And in order to do that, he needs to know who his neighbor is. And honestly, it kind of feels like in the story, he has a good feeling that whatever Jesus says back, he'll, he'll be able to handle it. Now, Jesus is going to respond with the parable here, and he often did this. Jesus told stories like such a champ, just to open up the minds of his listeners. But before we get into the story, I want to provide uh, some context, okay? So if you've heard the Good Samaritan a lot but don't understand who Samaritans are, this is going to be, I think, hopefully helpful. I'm in no way an expert in the lineage of New Testament biblical groups, but I tried my best to study it this week and figure it all out, so bear with me, okay? Um, So Israel, God's chosen people in the Old Testament, lived in freedom until they didn't live in freedom because the kingdom would overtake them, okay? Um, So like Babylon and Assyria in different times in the Old Testament overtook Israel. And the kingdoms that would overtake Israel had this strategy and it was a pretty good strategy. They would come into their land, overtake the land, and then take the strongest warriors and leaders back to their homeland and, and, and put them into their kingdom and put them to work. Why? So the people remaining could not revolt. They took the strongest away from them and strengthened their own kingdom, okay? So uh, Assyrians and Babylonians would come in, take the strongest, take them back. Is that clear? Does that make sense? Okay, and so what would be left is the weakest of the people. And here's what happened during this time. As the Assyrians and the Babylonians occupied the land of the Israelites and the weakest were left, the weakest of the Israelites began to marry and make families uh, with the enemy. And they began to adapt pagan gods. And so when the Israelites that were taken away would return from exile, they came back to find that their people had started worshiping other gods and had started families with the enemy. And as generations would pass down, there became this stigma about the Samaritans. And they were seen as unholy, as dirty, as truly repulsive. There was like this huge tension. And there was such a tension. There were two towns called Galilee and Judea. This is where Jews would hang out. And in between was Samaria, where Samaritans would hang out. And anyone traveling from Judea to Galilee would, instead of walking through the city of Samaria, Samaria, which was easily the most convenient, they would walk many, many extra miles just to avoid the land the Samaritans uh, inhabited. So what I'm saying here, there is a very real religious and racial tension between the Samaritans and the Jews a very real religious and racial racial tension. The Samaritans were impure and unholy in every way. And in fact, if you'll look back at at chapter 9, verses 51 through 56, you'll see this moment uh, where Jesus is traveling through Samaria to go to Jerusalem, and he looks for a place to stay in Samaria, and he's rejected because they know Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. And the disciples are pretty angry at the Samaritans for doing this, And their response isn't, hey, Jesus, should we write them some hate mail or like pull a dirty prank? Their response is, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven to consume them? (laughs) Like, chill, bro. Jeez, like you don't like each other. Get over it. Oh my God. Like, Jesus, I know you're perfect and holy and loving and I know you came to save the world, but let's just burn them. You know, and that's their response. And Jesus rebukes them. Jesus rebukes them for even saying that. But, But I want you to hear this. Just a chapter ago, Jesus himself is living into this religious and racial tension. He has been rejected by the Samaritans before telling this parable. So I hope you feel the racial and religious tension that is here, that is living and present. So now having said all that, let's think about the story through that lens. So there's a man, a man with no specified background that Jesus introduces. There's just a man traveling. He was probably a Jew in the the ears of the listeners, Um, because they were all Jews, the people listening to this story. And he is on his way to Jericho and he is beaten on a road that was actually a real road that was actually potentially dangerous for any travelers going alone. So this parable isn't that far-fetched. People would have heard and thought that guy traveling alone, he was in kind of a dangerous situation. And this man is robbed, he is beaten, and he is left to die. And this is where something really, really odd happens. We have a priest, a professional preacher A man who knows the law and the ways of God, it is his job to lead others in the ways of God, is traveling along the same road and sees this man left for dead. Now, I don't know if he's had like a bad day. Maybe church was just like, it really tanked that day. His sermon was awful. Maybe he's in an argument with his wife or maybe he had a great day and he's just eager to get home. But it says here that he not only walks and sees this man hurting and left for dead, he ignores the pain and walks on the other side. Now, if we were to take a poll to everyone listening to Jesus, and Jesus said, hey, does the priest stop or not? The priest wins the poll. He definitely stops. He's the man that knows God, knows the ways of God, and teaches the ways of God. But instead, he not only avoids the problem, he walks to the other side, maybe just to avoid the man seeing just who has left him abandoned for dead. To be clear, this is a seriously ugly picture of the priest. Like, this is pretty nasty. And so to the listeners, this may have felt surprising. Like, that doesn't sound like a priest. That's pretty crazy. But Jesus is a storyteller. I'm sure he's going somewhere. Let's see where Jesus is going. So next up is a Levite. He's journeying along the same road. And a Levite is basically an assistant to the priest. So he's not, a pri- he's not an assistant priest. He's an assistant to the priest. Anyone get that? Yes. <laughs> If you didn't get it, it's okay, it's irrelevant. Don't watch the show I was talking about. Anyway, um, so he is an assistant uh, to the priest. And so this means that he would follow around the priest and just had some uh, religious duties. And he, maybe without meaning to, does does exactly what a priest would do. It's almost like he fulfilled his duties. He follows the priest without even meaning to. He sees the man, not only ignores the pain, but walks to the other side. So at this point, the listeners are like, wow, that is... Two really solid people groups that he just named that passed by. But th- this must be going somewhere. Jesus, you're a good storyteller. At least I've heard rumors that you are, so I'm sure you're getting at something. And honestly, these kind of stories were pretty typical in this day. In fact, the third person mentioned in a story like this would often be a Jew or an Israelite. And so maybe even the expert of the law that's listening is thinking, I'm about to be inserted into the story, and I'm going to be the hero. <laughs> okay, dope. Dope. Thank you, Jesus, I am the man, right? But what does Jesus say? A Samaritan comes, and when he sees the man, he goes to him and bandages his wounds. And not only that, he carries the man, most likely a Jewish man, to his animal, and I think it's a donkey, who knows what kind of animal it was, and he takes him to a nice hotel. He pays enough cash in a nice area to keep him for over three weeks. And not only that, he says, I promise you, whatever is extra, I'll come back and I'll pay for it. So I want us to hear this. What did Jesus just do? In this story, not only is a Samaritan mentioned, but the Samaritan is the hero in contrast with the Jewish religious leaders being the villains. The most upright and religious of that day had failed and the unholiest and the perceived dirtiest of people had obeyed the heart of God. This is a slap in the face to the listeners of Jesus. In a culture of elitism, of superiority, of exclusivity, not only occurring, but being encouraged, Jesus is communicating. Be careful who you deem lowly and excluded, for those may just be the people that get the heart of God better than you ever have. What you had here were two men who grew up in a culture of religion, like God was most often talked about in their lives than anywhere else. They were professional churchgoers. They knew all the stories. They memorized all the scripture. They, they won the Bible drill. They loved VBS. And yet they were not free of limiting the love of God to a law, to a list of requirements that when no one was around, they did not have to carry the weight of the law with them. They could let go. They didn't have to serve the needy. At the moment that by chance they passed someone in need it wasn't, and it wasn't on their schedule, they were out. The moment it wasn't the second Tuesday of the month where they volunteered for the soup kitchen, they passed by. The moment it wasn't their weekly house church or their weekly Sunday gathering, they just kind of turned it off. And then we had this man, a Samaritan man, who by all accounts should have been the last person in this story to stop. Not only stop, but he goes above and beyond. He checks him in at Vanderbilt, says, take him for three weeks. I'll come back, any extra expenses, I got it. So what is Jesus doing here? Here's what I think Jesus is doing. He's giving this amazing picture that contrasts when God is your law versus when God is your Lord. See, a law is something we must obey to meet the requirements of and to avoid the consequences of disobedience. A Lord is a person or a deity who has authority and control or power over you. They have complete say in who you are. So when God is our law, we are kind of like the lawyer who asks, what must I do? And when God is our Lord, we ask, who do you want me to be? When God is our law, we are all too concerned with doing and accomplishing and checking off what is necessary. When God is our Lord, we are consumed with his ways becoming our ways. Do we see the difference? One is a state of doing, while the other is a state of being. One is about finding who your neighbors are, and the other is about being a neighbor. Have you ever been on the interstate when there are no cops? Have you ever been on the interstate when there are cops? Doesn't that suck? Like the speed limit's 70 and everyone starts going 55 and you're like, why are we here? Why are we out here? Why'd you get in your car today? We didn't need to do this. We could, we could have gotten here way faster. But then you, when you get on the interstate and there's no cops, it's like, good. Everyone's like going 85 or not. it's like NASCAR out there. So what is that a result of? The relationship that the public has with the police is, is, is one of law. How do I meet the expectations or the requirements of the authority? Like you know you're living under the law when a cop shows up and you immediately ask, am I doing it right, right now? This is a critical moment. How fast am I going? Is my seatbelt on? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's when you know you're living under the law. The law is not your Lord. Like you're not jazzed about going 55 in a 55. You're just scared that the cops could punish you if you're breaking the law. So I'll give you another example. I have a friend named Johnny. He's one of my actually really good friends, especially from when I worked at the cannery for a few years. Uh, Johnny lives on the streets. And honestly, he kind of prefers it that way. He does a good job making a living on the streets. And um, we would hang out all the time, go out to eat a lot, uh, crack jokes. He's very funny, um, has a great accent. Like, Josh, oh, I love you, man. That's not how he sounds, but that's how he sounds in my head. But I can't really do what he does. All right. So anyway, we love each other, Johnny and I. Johnny has this exit that he typically sells papers at. Okay. And I know it going into the exit every time I take it. I'm like, I might see Johnny today. Cool. That's my guy. That's my boy. That's my homie. You guys get it. All right. So I take the exit. I see Johnny. And I don't know what was going on this day, but either I didn't have money or I didn't want to give him money. I don't know why, which is fine. And I'm like, all right, shoot, got to do something about this. And here's what I do. So it's a three lane exit. Left lane, left turn only. Middle lane, straight or left. Right lane, right only. I need to turn left. That is where my home is. It is a mile away. Right turn makes no sense here. I see Johnny, freak out, take the right lane, drive a couple hundred yards, pull into a driveway, turn around, go home. I literally pass by on the other side. Do you hear me? I'm in the parable. Like, I'm like, I'm like <laughs> I, just to avoid Johnny. Why did I do that? I was living under law. Do you know how easy it would have been? for me to pull up beside my bro that I've known for literally years and said, what's up, dude? Hey, what's up, Josh? You having a good day? Yeah. That's not how he sounds again, but yes, I would have left and he would have said, God bless you, Josh. Have a great day. I got rid of the accent. God bless you, Josh. Have a good day. That's what he would have said to me. But instead I chose to dodge him. Why? What was fueling that? I felt the pressure of law, the law that told me, if you don't give, you failed. If you don't do this or that, you failed Johnny, you failed God. So I dodged the situation altogether. See, the law in me was making Johnny a project, someone that I am there to help only, or I fail. But the Lord tells me, much like in the Samaritan Samaritan story, Joshua, it's possible Johnny gets the gospel more than you ever have. He is not a project or a lowly guy. He is my friend, he is my neighbor. And that's what the Lord does. He gives us his eyes, his heart, his perspective. So my goal for us today is not for us to read this and say, okay, Jesus tells us about a Samaritan going and helping someone. Who do I need to help? I want us to sit around the thought of how do I give up my ways and give into the ways of Jesus? Or where in my life can I invite Jesus to be my Lord? The story of the Good Samaritan is not trying to give us a task. It is trying to paint a picture of a life wholly given to God that as you go, you love like Jesus. And here's what is so cool. Jesus says, do this and you will live. This is a cool Jesus to follow. Like Jesus is radical. He's wild. Like, you know how intimidating it is for someone to say, hey, do this and you'll live. It's like, shoot, what if I don't? That's not good. It's like, but hear me. Jesus is saying, love, like love people. Let me consume you. Let me have my way in you. I love that this is what Jesus is about. He wants the glory of God to fill the earth and the glory of God is made up of love. That's what he wants. in the name of Jesus, not by our efforts, but by the transformation that comes with giving your life to Jesus. Jesus, seriously, believing you hear me, you're so cool. This is awesome. I'm pumped to follow you. Your love is wild. You have not called me to abide by rules on my own strength to one day achieve a prize. Rather, you've called me to give you my entire life and step into eternal life right now. You transform who I am. Now, the last thing I'm teaching right now is a cop-out from serving or loving people intentionally. Literally, that is, that is actually the opposite of what I'm saying. What I am getting at is that a person moving from a place of identity, a person consumed by Jesus, will always go much farther than a person moving from a place of doing, a place of requirement. Have you ever felt the pressure to accomplish a lot of tasks? Isn't that, isn't that just tough? You feel the weight, like you've got to get things done. But look at what Jesus is asking for. It points right back to the scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your your mind, your heart, your soul, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. In that order, when we sit before God, open our hearts to him, give our ways to him, to be engulfed by his ways, we begin to desire what God desires. We love who he loves because he loves them, right? Not because we have to, but because his heart becomes our heart. So I wanted to sit here this morning and just tell you this. Jesus is not here to critique you. He is here to consume you. We hear that? Jesus is not here to critique you. He is here to consume you. He wants you. Not what you do, not what you have to offer. He wants you. All of you. So the question I take away from me is: how do I make Jesus my Lord and not my law? How do I step into a life of being where eternal life begins here and now? Because the man asked for eternal life and Jesus says, do this and you will live. Jesus did not say, do this and you'll get what you're after. He says, do this and you will live. That tells me live now. So how do I become like the Samaritan who was simply walking, having a normal day, sees the opportunity to love like Jesus. He had places to be. He drops the guy off and gives money. Like he was on his way to something. He was busy, but he sees someone in need by chance. The passage says, by chance, And the chance presented itself, and he lives like Jesus. He loves like Jesus. Because I truly believe that if with Jesus we are constantly feeling the pressure of, what do I need to do? We will constantly be on this cycle of being ready and available to being really worn out and tired and discouraged. However, when we live in a place of being, we are coming from a standpoint that has no timeline, no test, but simply life. And so practically, that's the point of this whole thing. I just wanna give us one piece for you to take home this week. I'm gonna give you a prayer. If you wanna write it down, you can. It's not short, it's not long. So I don't know, maybe you can type in your phone, okay? But just take five to 10 minutes of your day and get to a quiet place. And this is a prayer uh, that I came up with. And if you wanna make your own prayer, do that. But a prayer that kind of goes like this. God, thank you for life. You are not here to critique me, but to consume me. I want your ways to become my ways. Reveal to me where that isn't so, and I will offer my ways to you. Help me to love my neighbor. Help me to be a neighbor. Where I feel pressured to accomplish tasks for you. Help me to remember you have consumed me, not critiqued me. I'm gonna read it one more time. God, thank you for life. You are not here to critique me, but to consume me. I want your ways to become my ways. Reveal to me where that isn't so, and I will offer my ways to you. Help me to love my neighbor. Help me to be a neighbor. Where I feel pressured to accomplish tasks for you, help me to remember you have consumed me, not critiqued me. Guys, God did not send Jesus to die on the cross to give you this weight of do this, do this, do this. He died because he loves you. And, and I, I would hate if we left this and all we got out of it was this weird, introspective self-thought, always thinking to ourselves, okay, you love me, you love me, and never went and loved the world. The purpose of Jesus is to fulfill the purposes of the Father and to invite his children to do that. okay So like I said, this is not a cop-out, but I believe as we love God, as we seek to love God, and his heart becomes ours, the world will be taken care of because we will love the heck out of the world. We will very much care as his cares become our cares. So we're about to enter into a time of communion. Uh, We're going to spend like seven to eight minutes reflecting and praying together at the tables. And I want to encourage you. um, This is a time to connect and to be vulnerable, love each other, be gracious with one another. But listen, uh, we don't want to pressure you, okay? Like if you're not comfortable talking to people that you either just met or came with, just look at them and say, look, I don't like you. Like, I don't want to talk to you. Like, seriously. No, I'm just kidding. Don't, please don't do that. Um, that wasn't an appropriate joke. Anyway, um, but if you don't want to, put your head down and pray or go stand in the back, whatever you want to do. But I encourage you uh, to be vulnerable with one another. Um, so as we, as we enter this time of communion, I have a couple of questions for us. Um, and when Callie comes up and leads worship, um, she'll start singing and if you're still talking like man we're really grooving right now um, you can go out to the porch or keep talking at your table um, but, or you can just sing and worship with us um, so here's the questions really simple stuff do i mostly live under jesus as my law or my lord in other words do i often feel jesus is critiquing me or consuming me and then how do i know this simple. I hope it's simple. It may not be simple. I'm sorry if it's not. But do I mostly live under Jesus as my law or my Lord? In other words, do I most often feel that Jesus is critiquing or consuming me? And how do I know this? And after that, just pray together. Um, Offer up your hearts to God. Um, I hope, I really hope that you feel the release in this. Like if you're following Jesus, he loves you. He's got you. He's going to carry you. He just wants your heart. Like, in some ways, that's a lot to ask for. In other ways, it's kind of freeing. He doesn't need your talent or your abilities. He just needs your heart, and he'll take care of the rest, okay? Um, so we'll take communion. I'm going to pray over us, and then uh, we'll do it. Also, real quick, sorry. If, if you're here today, and you're not following Jesus yet, and you're seeing, like, this just insane, beautiful picture of what Jesus is all about, um, I'll be in the back. Isaac Jones will be in the back. He's on our pastoral team. And if you want to talk about that, um, we'd love to talk with you, or you can tell people at your table uh, and pray with them. So, all right, let's pray. God, um, do what uh, only you can do. I pray, please, just your spirit be at work in our hearts. Um, if this felt confusing or too like up in the clouds or scattered, God, would you just help it make sense in our hearts that you just want our lives, like all of us, um, and you'll take care of the rest. Uh, I remember having this picture one time of, I've got these list of things that I really want to fix about myself this list of things I really want to do better. And you just, you just kind of told me that day, like, you got a list and you've got the Lord. If you keep your eyes on the list, you're gonna stay weighted down and it's gonna be really hard and you're gonna feel the burden of life. But if you just look at me, I will handle the list. You don't worry about the list, you worry about me. So God, I pray that we would be a people uh, that don't fret over the list of things that we see in ourselves, the failures, the shortcomings, whatever. But God, instead, just look at you who offers grace and love and forgiveness and carries us. Jesus, would you make us a people uh, that follow you as our Lord, as our beautiful and wonderful king, our ruler, and how good it is to have a king and a ruler who cares so much about loving the world. That is insane. Thank you, Jesus, in your name, amen.